Agents Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Follow a Boss. Follow a Boss is the real estate CRM that turns every agent into a top performer. Follow a Boss is packed with features, but it's intuitive and easy to use. So agents love working with it and it integrates with everything. Use multiple lead sources. Guess what? Follow a Boss keeps them all organized. Want to try new marketing channels? Switch website providers? Plug them right into Follow Up Boss. Visit followupboss.com forward slash lab coat to see how Follow Up Boss helps you close more deals. That's followupboss.com forward slash lab coat. Shit happens. And I, and I quote, I didn't say that. Our guest today said that. And actually, she said, I don't know if I can say that on the air, but I just uh, opened the door to it for it to be said. And this is actually the second episode uh, in a short amount of time where we're going to be talking to a guest who has gone through something that really not only should have potentially left her, A, maybe not even alive, B, in a wheelchair, uh, and, and she was not only able to overcome that, uh, but she is now overcoming the challenges that we have in our business. And it's another great story of how so many of us look at our careers and look at our industry and say, this sucks and this is hard. And I think it's important for us to be reminded that, you know, there are much bigger challenges in this world than just what we're navigating currently in our industry. And sometimes we need that reminder and that kick in the ass uh, to, to turn our mindset around. And uh, we're going to learn today from someone who has overcome just uh, just that, some, some serious challenges uh, that almost left her uh, not here today. And, uh, and, and how she is currently thriving in this business. And so I'm very excited to welcome to the show a friend of Nick Baldwin, uh, which is how we came together, Randy Brandt. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited to hear this story. So I, I just teed it up, put it on a platter. Now it's your turn to tell us what in the hell happened. Uh, so take us back, you know, what led you to where you are today and take us back to you know, even before you got into the real estate business, then what led you to real estate, then what led you to the serious challenges and just surviving to where we are today? Sure. So I actually started at Michigan State as an elementary education major, thought I was going to work with kids, loved it. And then after doing my internship at the Lansing Magnet Elementary School in the first grade class, uh, I was 20 years old and my five and six year old students, their parents were my age kind of gave me a dose of harsh reality and needless to say, ended up with a hospitality business degree. Interesting. So yeah, I left Michigan for the first time and got a job in Keystone, Colorado, working for Vail Resorts, had never been there before. Two weeks, I was gone. Um, so I worked for corporate America for a number of years. That also happened during our lovely 2009, 2010 era. And in 13, realized between my sister and her starting to have kids and just the way that my industry was going, uh, it was time to come home. So I came home to Michigan and I opened up an event planning business, arrived here for a few years and started realizing that it wasn't going to be the end all of my world. It wasn't going to be who I was for the rest of my days. I looked into actually investing in real estate. And so I had in 15, I had gotten my license 
I'd worked on getting my license. And then in 2016, somebody approached me to sell my business, um, which I was really big in the Indian weddings here in uh, Metro Detroit. Sold my business, got my real estate license in December of 16, and started on. And the rest is history until a year into the business, shit happened. Shit happened. That's true. Yeah. So for anyone who is a realtor, you know that the first year, year and a half is not easy. Everyone likes to show that it's beautiful from the beginning. We have to bust our butts. And so 14 months into the business, I had my 32nd birthday in February. I was doing great. Um, I've always been very athletic. I was a college athlete, still very active. And seven days after my 32nd birthday, I found myself in the back of an ambulance being taken to the hospital and was told within a matter of moments of arriving that I was in liver and kidney failure. My body was shutting down. So for anyone what happened? Opinion, what happened? It was just a random, I mean, was there an episode that caused this or this is just random? It just. So I had turned 32 on a Thursday, Saturday afternoon. I didn't, I just started feeling kind of off, not great. Uh, and then on that following Tuesday, I went into my primary care physician and I, I was trying to explain to him that I just didn't feel good. I couldn't pinpoint it. And he was like, oh, well, it's probably nothing. We'll do some blood work. I'll give you an antibiotic that'll hit anything and everything. I'm sure you'll be fine. Wednesday, uh, the next day I went into the office. Because again, I'm 14 months in the business. I'm still making my way. And I ended up having to go home at lunch because I was so tired. I needed to take a nap. While I was taking a nap, my doctor called me twice, left me a voicemail saying, you have to come back into the office. So Thursday morning, which is now a week after my birthday, I showed up into his office and I actually ended up passing out in his waiting room, which is why they called EMS. So the reason why he was so adamant about me coming back was because they thought that they had tainted my blood samples when in all actuality, it was showing that I was in liver and kidney failure. My mm. organs were literally shutting down. Wow. Here you are just thinking, gosh, 32 sucks. Getting old <laughs> sucks. And, and all of a sudden it's something that, I mean, is, is there even a sign that now that you're looking back that someone, I mean, this is not a medical podcast, but you know, I, we all go through goofy things in life and, and, you know, what is something that looking back that maybe would have made you realize something was off other than just not feeling right and being tired? That's the funny thing is everything was good. I mean, I, I work out five to six days a week. I had been going to the gym. I hadn't changed anything in my diet. I hadn't gone traveling anywhere. Everything was normal until that week. I just started feeling like crap. And you know, farther in, they never fully diagnosed what caused it. What they suspect is that I contracted a virus of some sort and that just attacked my body. Hmm. So a I, virus I that kind of just laid dormant and didn't actually show its ugly that didn't make you sick, essentially. Correct. Yeah. It just, it just went in there and wreaked havoc. So I was, like I said, I was in liver and kidney failure. I ended up for about six days. I don't really remember a ton of it other than thankfully my dad had taken a sabbatical. And so he was at the hospital with me every day because I had so many different doctors because when your body, it's a well-oiled machine. And so when one part breaks, everything else works overtime and then it's a ripple effect. And 
there was a time that my dad told me afterwards that my, one of the doctors looked at him and said, we don't know if we're going to be able to get her back. We, we don't know if she's going to survive this. Thankfully they did a round of dialysis, which sucked. And my kidneys started functioning slowly again. So at about a week and a half into the hospitalization, they started running tests to try and figure out exactly what had caused my body to just fail. One of the procedures they did was a spinal tap. You know, they go in, they take some spinal fluid from your spine. No big deal. They test it and call it a day. When I was chatting with my head nurse about the procedure, I was new to it. I have no medical background. Science is not my forte. Never has been. She told me it's going to be, you know, plan on about a 45 minute procedure from the time you go into the procedure room until you're done. So, okay. Well, when I was rolled into the procedure room, from the time I was rolled in to the time the radiologist was done and rolled me out was seven minutes. Fast forward to the next morning. Again, I've got all these different groups of doctors, these teams on me, and everybody comes in and does their checks for the day and things. Well, one of my doctors or one of my, my teams was my neuro because they, they had to make sure that everything neurologically was working. And if you've ever been in the hospital, you know, that they, every patient has like that whiteboard, if you will, at the end of the bed, does your name, your yeah. nurse, your nurse's aide. Well, so she was doing her check, like follow your finger and watch my eyeballs. And I told her, I said, I can't read my board today. Like, it's just really blurry. I know it's on it. I can't read it. She's like, all right, well, let's get a, let's get a repeat MRI just to make sure. I no sooner come up from the MRI. I have my head nurse, my primary care, my neurologist all in my room. They're telling me you're going to the ICU. You have a subdural hematoma for anybody who is not a science major. I had a brain bleed. Oh my God. So this is worse than, this is worse than shit happens just for the record. I mean, (laughs) I, I, you couldn't make it up. You really couldn't. So, you know, 10 days prior to this, my father gets a phone call saying your daughter's being rushed to the emergency room. And Oh, by the way, we may not be able to save her. He's on a day break as where he lived, where I grew up from the hospital. It was like a 95 mile round trip. Mm. So he was coming about every other day once I started getting better. So this happened to be his off day. And all of a sudden, ring, ring, Mr. Brandt, your daughter's being taken to the ICU now. She has a subdural hematoma. And all I remember is my dad walking into that room, grabbing a chair and sitting right next to the head of my bed. And what I found out later was he was watching the monitor that was behind my head because they had told him that if one of the numbers spiked to a certain height, I was going in for emergency brain surgery. So he literally watched that monitor all night long. Oh my God. Thankfully did not need to get my head cut open. The subdural hematoma didn't stop. Uh, It had subsided enough to where they felt comfortable. And let me tell you, that is the worst migraine mixed with a hangover mixed with a concussion. Anybody could have ever had. Wow. So. Wow. Okay. And the journey continues. So the journey continues because that's not enough for a young, healthy person. And I say young because now looking back, 32 was young. Mm -hmm. So we go through that. We get out of the ICU. Now we're back into figuring out what's causing all of these issues with Randy's body. So they did a surgery. They took part of my quadriceps. 
out of my left leg. They took my sterile nerve, which is a nerve right under your ankle bone. They biopsied them, dozens and dozens of more tests. And at one point, I ended up having a stroke. So all of a sudden, my body had gotten weak because when you're laying in the hospital bed doing nothing, it's only kind of human nature. So all of a sudden, from my navel down, nothing works. I'm not able to move my toes. I'm not able to lift my leg. I feel nothing. They're literally picking me with a needle and I feel absolutely nothing. So as my, my internal organs are getting healthier, my body is now failing me. So we go through more tests to try and figure out what's happening, what's going on, what's causing all this. I was stable enough that they moved me up to the PTOT rehab floor. This was about day 40-ish in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And they're working with me. They're still trying to do tests. And I remember they finally came into my my office. (laughs) See, it was a vacation. I was working there. (laughs) (laughs) They come into my room and they say, we don't know what's causing all of this. Your body is stable. Your legs will never work again. We're going to teach you how to go home in a wheelchair. Wow. Insert mental breakdown. Wow. Uh, Yeah. Now this was, again, I was only 32 when back then. And this is is how many days into this, uh, the first ER visit. This was about 40 days into my hospitalization. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, mind you, again, 14 months in the business, I was still running my entire business. My clients didn't find out I was even sick and in the hospital until I ended up in ICU. My goodness. Yeah. I had to. No one else was going to run my business for me. I was a brand new agent. I was a nobody. So I was not the simplest. We made it happen. Wow. So. Okay. And now, I mean, obviously, so now what are you in a wheelchair now? I'm in a wheelchair. They're, They're taking me into the rehab gym. They're teaching me how to use a kitchen, how to transfer myself from the chair to other sitting apparatuses, how to do laundry. And I was going through the motions. I have to tell you though, that I wanted like my mental state completely gone. I was defeated. I was drained. I was pissed. How could this be happening? I, I, I've played volleyball. I've been a dancer my entire life. I have a dance education background. I I play volleyball still to this day and I ref ice hockey. Like there is no way I'm going to change and end up in a wheelchair. Plus how many, how many realtors do you see? Now there are realtors that do it and they're fantastic at it. How many realtors do you see that are wheelchair bound though? Mm -hmm. It just, it was something that I couldn't grasp. Mm -hmm. I remember kicking, kicking one of my nurses out of my room. I finally was just, I was done. I was pissed. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And ironically, they put me on suicide watch. Oh, wow. somebody, who, somebody who couldn't move. I was wheelchair bound. So I was bed bound. They put me on suicide watch. Just, I think more because of my emotional state at that time. And again, I, I couldn't understand why this was happening to me. I was being extremely selfish. I will admit that. This isn't fair. This doesn't happen to me. Why is this happening? And it took me about three days to kind of pull myself back together. And I had had a conversation with the man upstairs and I said, look, if I can have the life that I want to lead, I will try and, and help others along my journey. And the next day they took me back into the rehab gym 
And one of my physical therapists was like, you know what, let's just try a few more things. Let's just think outside the box. Let's get you out of this wheelchair. And they actually have those apparatuses that look very similar to like the Johnny jumpers that we put kids in, you know, in between Mm -hmm. the doorway. Mm -hmm. So they have the adult version of that. So I'm hanging from the ceiling in this, this rehab gym and they put a full length mirror in front of me. And she tells me, she's like, just look at your legs. Okay. And so for about 15 minutes, I literally just stood there, use that term loosely, mm-hmm. hung there rather. Uh, and I, I looked at my legs in this mirror and I, and all of a sudden about 15 minutes later, my left leg just barely moves. You can see kind of my kneecap move and it drags my foot with me. And that was my first step. Hmm. And that was at uh, day 49. Wow. Uh, and, and then, and then how did it progress from there? I didn't stop. Uh, we just kept working on it every, every day that we're supposed to do two hours a day. I was doing four. I was doing, I was doing more than I was supposed to. Because what they, what they were seeing was that somehow my nervous system was reforming, if you will. And so I just had to retrain my body to make it move. I couldn't, I still couldn't feel my legs. I couldn't feel them moving. I saw them moving. So for the first few days, when I was in this, this hanging apparatus, if they didn't have that mirror in front of me, my legs didn't move. It just didn't make sense. You know, brain to legs, the the dialogue wasn't there. Mm-hmm. We finally, after about six days after that is when I actually was able to stand up with a walker and get myself sturdy enough from a chair to a walker standing. Now, when I say that, you have to imagine Elvis mixed with like a young Forrest Gump when he's all wobbly and his knees and hips are going everywhere. That's what I looked like. <laughs> it was not... It was not eloquent in any way, shape, or form. I was up though. And so 60 days in on April 22nd of 2018, I was released from the hospital. It was a Sunday. My license had been taken away by Secretary of State. Because apparently when you have a stroke and you lose feeling, that actually happens. Fun fact. And so that was a Sunday afternoon. How do, how do they even know about that? It goes on your medical record and my doctors disclosed it. Hmm. And so the state just, just, uh, how do you even find out that your driver's license has been revoked? So my doctors had given me one of those handicap tabs. Yeah. When I went to get that, the actual tab from the secretary of state, it was noted the reasoning why I was getting that tab. And it was because I had had a stroke. And you have to take a driver's test. You have to repass a driver's test after something like that. Mm. And at that point, I still didn't have much feeling or enough feeling in my legs or strength in my legs. I had lost 28 pounds when I was in the hospital those two months. Most of it was all muscle mass. I mean, my legs were the size of my wrists when I got out of there. So I was, I was released on a Sunday and I was back in my office on Monday. My goodness. And you were, and over this entire period, what was the, what, what ended up being the final tally on how long this, this kind of went down? So I was hospitalized for 60 days, two full months. I was released with a, a, with a a walker and I was in outpatient therapy, intensive outpatient therapy for about two and a half months after that. 
And then I was upgraded to just walking with a cane. And in, so that was in April, in July, I took my driver's test and got my license back. So again, from April to July, I was running my real estate business in Ubers. Like I was paying everywhere I mm, went. Same. And again, new agent, what do, what do new agents generally work with? Yeah, buyers, yeah. Buyers. Mm-hmm. That's, that's fascinating. I mean- and and I almost got a first off. First of all, you were only in the business for a year and a half, so it's it, you couldn't have just been the business couldn't have just been flourishing at that time. But I almost feel like taking a, a sixty day hiatus like that, which for most mentally would probably lead them into ninety or one hundred and twenty days, because they just got to get their shit back together mentally, right? I mean, you just damn near lost. Yeah, you, you went from almost dying to almost being paralyzed to, you know, and and. That's more than most can just take in general, let alone get their get their head right to get back into business immediately. And so, first of all, how, how were you able to do that? If you were working with buyers, how are you able to do that when you're in the hospital? How were you able to sustain your business? So keeping keeping focused on my business as much as I could was my mental safeguard. It, it kept me focused on something other than what was happening to me in the hospital that I couldn't control. So thankfully I did have a few younger agents than me. They had only been in the business a few months. They ended up being showing agents for me. So I was still running pretty much everything. I did have my first investor. He was one of my first clients and um, he was actually the one that called me out. He, he generally comes into town and we always have a coffee meeting for like three hours, the first Tuesday of the month, whatever it was. And I had to cancel on him. And he, he asked me, he's like, well, what's wrong? Why? And I just, I didn't want to tell him because I didn't want, I still didn't want people thinking differently of me. And I was fearful that they were going to think I was not going to be able to good at, be good at my business. I was going to be a weak person. Like there was all these mindsets that were just changing. And he's from Argentina. He actually flew early into Michigan and came and visited me when I was in the ICU. Wow. Um, and to this day, he's, he's still a great client and he, he's family. He has become family. So what would you, what would you say you learned from that? Because, you know, that's, that's not uncommon. Obviously this is much more extreme, but you know, I've heard it from, from many female uh, employees and cohorts in the business. Like I'm afraid that if I let my client base know that I'm pregnant, for example, that they're going to lose faith in me because they don't want to bother me. And then they know I'm going to have a newborn. And, and so I just don't want to tell them. And it's kind of a limiting belief. It is a limiting belief, but mm-hmm. you know, how do you, how would you having gone through something worse um, in that regard, how did you overcome that? And how would you advise somebody to overcome that? It's not easy. I will say that. And I had kept some of my updates on social media. So people knew kind of somewhat that, you know, they knew I was in the hospital. They knew I was sick. I always had like a smile on my face if I was doing a video or something like that, just to try and make it bigger than what it was. And I remember, so I, I grew up in the Livonia area. I went to high school, however, in Pinckney. So inner city life, rural life, very different. And starting a new high school in a new town, a new area, I didn't think that I had made the connections I had, even though I was so involved in sports. And now mind you, this is 14 years post high school. When I was in the hospital, all of a sudden, unbeknownst to me during my time, like 10 of my high school 
teammates from the various sports I played, who we hadn't really kept in contact other than through social media, they showed up at my hospital room with like this huge basket of just goodies and fun stuff. And they like did my hair and they were just there. And so it was one of those things where I had to realize that the people around me are worth letting in and being able to be vulnerable with. And I do that with my clients. It's, it's not always simple. Something as simple as like Sundays, I am really sorry between, you know, 11 AM and 6 PM, there is not going to be much communication. That is time with my father. I get once a week with him. It will not be disrupted. And everybody understands everyone has families. Everyone has lives. It's something that's within yourself that you have to just say, this is me. Most people will take it. Uh, very few will actually be like, mm, nope, don't want to work with you because X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's true. And, and I think there's, there, you can, you can, there's two sides of the spectrum there because there's the people that say, you know, I'm going to be perpetually accessible because this career affords me a lifestyle of flexibility. Uh, so I want to do that. And then there's others that say, just like you, like I'm going to block my schedule and there's no, it's not right or wrong. There's no right or wrong answer to either one. It's just to each their own and what you decide to do. But obviously you are thriving with that mindset and structure. And so would you, would, do you think that you've ever actually cost yourself any business as a result of doing something like that? Granted, it's a Sunday and I think the expectation of most is not, you know, is, is, is lenient, but. So I don't, um, I mean, I was that agent that I was at the beck and call of my clients for many years, probably the first four years of my business. I was, and I still do to this day work with investors from all over the world. And I can remember. I had an investor from Australia. I sold four of his properties for him here in Michigan. I'd never met him to this day. And I'll be damned if that man did not call me at 4.30 in the damn morning, almost daily, because he was winding down for the night. And if I didn't answer his call, he would just keep pushing send, just keep dialing until I answered. Because he knew he knew he was waking you up? I don't think he cared because he knew that I would answer. I had set that expectation in that I was always going to be available. And that was when I had to really like adjust. Um, Now I still have, you know, I have working hours until nine o'clock. My clients know that generally they can get a hold of me during the week until 9 p.m. Because again, we do work around their nine to five, you know, their normal quote unquote office hours, their, their work schedules. I am very open with my clients, which was not always the easiest thing for me now with travel. Hey, you know, this past weekend, uh, two weekends ago now, I went on a vacation. I took my dad to Austin for Formula One. It's the first vacation I've taken, not real estate related in over two years. And I told everybody, I am always available for you. However, I will physically not be here. So I will be answering my emails and my phone calls from this time to this time. If anything absolutely necessary happens, just know I will be in contact later that day. And I mean, I still locked up two contracts while I was there. You set proper expectations. That's the key. You have to, you really do. And again, people understand, you know, they they always say there's no fires in real estate. It's true. And if there is actually a fire, don't call me. Call 911. Yeah. And everyone has a family. Everybody has understanding. And 
with my investors was my biggest fear. And honestly, they respect me more now that I've put boundaries up than when I was completely at their their time frames. Does the Australian still call you at 4.30? No, thankfully, he no longer owns properties in Michigan. So I have blessed and released him. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, let's let's roll back to, you know, kind of being able to overcome. And so obviously, you know, you walked us through that, which was way more than I realized I was I was asking for when 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 I knew something happened because I didn't know I didn't know the story other than you almost died and you almost couldn't walk, mm-hmm. um, much much deeper than I realized. But now here we are, and, and you're now in your sixth year in the business, and I mean, and arguably, I guess one could say you're about your, you're in your fifth year because really you lost a year essentially. I mean, you, you took some steps backwards and, and now here we are going through where we just got done with that, that, that cycle in our business where it was as easy as it ever will get. Uh, it doesn't get easier than that. Now we might get that cycle again, but it doesn't get easier than that. Now, all of a sudden we're back to, okay, this is freaking hard and it actually requires skill. And so when when you're when you're telling the story and talking to agents who you know you you probably I'm sure you inspire many now, and 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 I think there's a lot of people that are struggling and and nowhere near to what you've gone through, but yet in their own eyes, this is a massive struggle and and just trying to survive in this business to feed their family. And so, what kind of advice are you going? Can you give somebody today to 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 get past those mental barriers that are now haunting them? It's really simple. It's lay down and die or make it happen is really just the, the two options you have. You know, I, I could have easily gone into the, oh, poor me and live the rest of my life miserable in a wheelchair in a hot, or in a bed. Cause realistically with my, my person, I probably would have given up and just been a person that laid in bed and needed to have somebody take care of them. I wasn't going to do that because one, I was too young Two, if there was an option for me to live the life I wanted, I was going to do it. And again, you know, people, people always ask, they're like, well, you were in the hospital. Why weren't you focusing on getting better? Honestly, because it was driving me crazy that I couldn't control it. What I could control was my business, my name and my income. Nobody else is going to pay my rent and my utility bills at that point. Cause I hadn't purchased my house yet. You know, nobody else is going to pay my insurance or even my, my board dues to be a realtor. Yeah. That's on me. So was I going to just completely, you know, I, I would have gotten out of the hospital eventually, God willing, and then have nothing to come home to and be in even worse mental state because now I'm broke, have no income and can't pay my bills. Or if I had the ability to jump on my computer or jump on the phone or even text message, keep those relationships that I had been creating going so that I still had money going. And that's the same thing now, you know, especially with newer agents, like you had mentioned, this is turning into what we are used to prior to the past two years. You have to know your data. You have to be knowledgeable. You have to be the actual professional and know exactly what's going on to your clients in order to get that business. Now, yes, we're all feeling it. Listings are sitting a little bit longer. Here's the newsflash. It's normal. This is the normal market. And so you do have to adjust. Because, you know, even in my business, I was so used to having closing so frequently where now I have these listings that are sitting a little longer. It's okay. It's still going to go out there. And so you have two options. 
give up and say, oh, poor me, I'm not getting the business I'm used to, or taking all of the knowledge that we have through all of these different organizations, groups, social media, anything out there, get your skills up and just push through and become part of the group of us that are taking more of that market. Because inevitably, we're going to lose realtors. We don't want to. There's going to be some that were probably never realtors in the beginning. They were just agents. They got their license. They made a quick buck. They're gone. In order to survive and sustain, you just have to remember that there is opportunity. You can do it. You just have to make it through that one little hurdle. Well, first of all, I'm going to correct you. I don't think that many agents actually agree with you when they say we don't want people to leave the industry, because I think there's a lot of agents that actually do want a lot of the people to leave the industry. Um, because there's a lot of people that got into this industry for the wrong reasons. And a lot of people through COVID, like it was just a side gig and it's easy because, you know, perception, of course, that, that, that we see on social, I, I think that's, I think it's interesting. So what now, you know, you, you've, you've kind of talked about this, just the grander, you know, mindset behind overcoming, but what tactical things are you now doing in your business now that, you know, the, the, the physical trauma, the, the things that happen to your body and the things that you went through now are kind of a thing of the past. Mm-hmm. So now what are you doing or what are you foreshadowing that you're going to have to do to continue to thrive uh, as we, who knows how long this downturn could be? It's really, it's doubling down. So I've, I've really looked into my business and where a lot of my business comes. And I'm very fortunate that agent to agent referrals have been a huge part of my business uh, because I am pretty involved within my brokerage as well as, you know, national association, which is probably why I had that. We don't want to lose realtors when sex. I'm getting ready to go to convention next week. Fair. <laughs> Different hats. Fine. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's making sure that I'm still staying at the end of the day, you have to stay top of mind. You have to be the person people think of. And so focusing on that marketing is a huge part of my enjoyment. You know, I, I, I like making calls. That's fun too. Well, that's that's prefer- the second, that's the second lie that you've now said. <laughs> so it's funny. You have, again, it's a, it's a mindset. People always go, oh, I hate making cold calls. It's no. no fun. People hang up on me, switch that and make out a, a game out of it. Literally. When somebody hangs up on me, the first thing I do is I will call them back and go, I'm so sorry. We must've got disconnected. What I was saying was and nine times out of 10, they will stay on the phone with me and I will at least make that connection. If I don't lock in that, that appointment. Okay. It's, Interesting. You have I like to have that. Fun with it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of no's. And then when you get that, yes, it's very exciting. So you have to yeah. plan to that. And again, just, just like I said, making sure you you stay in front of people, whether it's, so how do you how do you do that? How do you do that? So I am very much on what we'll call like the 36 touch. I contact my database a minimum of 36 times. Realistically, it's probably closer to about 45 times a year. And it's through phone calls, text messages, emails, you know, news blasts, just a care call, simple like, hey, how's everything going? Social media is a big one for me. And I've also actually started doing for my listings with my sellers and even with my buyers now is, you know, we always want to contact our listings and let them know what's going on, what happened the weekend prior, think, you know, just what, what we're seeing, especially now 
you know, the Fed is going to, we're, we're going to get some more points coming mm-hmm. soon, we're told. So that was one of the conversations I had. And again, I like to do group chats if there's a husband, wife, or two people, or whatever, just so everybody's on the same page. Well, text messages can ta- be, be taken out of connotation because you don't hear person's voice, right? You don't know. It's not always easy getting everybody on a call, especially during working hours. And as much as I love not having evenings, I don't necessarily want to make 10 calls at seven o'clock at night. So what I do is I actually do a video. I'll send a text message, but it's a, it's a video message. And I'm like, Hey guys, just letting you know, X, Y, Z, this is what we're looking at. This is how things going. If you have any questions, I'm always here for you. I get so much more engagement out of that just because they can see me that it's actually gotten me three referrals just because I'm so active and I'm, I'm here for them, even though I'm literally sitting in my office and I'm not taking the time to drive to them. Yeah. And you're recording that message whenever you want and sending it at a appropriate time. Mm -hmm. What, what, uh, what tool are you using to do those messages? Or are you just recording them on your phone? Just on my phone. Super simple. Uh, I had a sign call come in this weekend while I was doing an open house on another listing. And I chatted with her and luckily on that side, there was nobody at the house at that moment. So it worked out quite well, chatted with her, you know, already pre-approved, love that, wanted to take a look. Spouse has some weird working hours, no problem. So I literally followed up um, once I was done with the open house in my car. No, I was parked, car was not moving. And I said a video because now they've put a face with a name. It's not just another realtor I called. It's oh, it's Randy. They know me. And I've been able to actually capture a lot of those clients just because it's harder to say no to somebody's face, even if it's on a video, yeah. than if it's just a phone call or a text message. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of reasons why, uh, a lot of psychology reasons why. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's great. So, uh, and that's simple. And and listen, folks, I mean, you know, how many years have we been saying now get in front of the camera and and really you have to, I mean, you, it's, it's, it's becoming really a necessity. Uh, but you mentioned social media, which also obviously be, is becoming, every platform is becoming almost, if not completely video centric, very video centric. And so what are your strategies uh, as, as it relates to social? So we've done like with everyone, I've done some beta testing with it and you can throw things up there. Like you said, if it's not a video or even like the little boomerang, something that's a tension grabber, they get a lot less engagement. So I, whether it's a happy birthday, it's, Hey, this is what's happening in the market or, Hey, come join me at an open house. Um, my client appreciation events, or literally just me hanging out at my barn with my 28 year old horse with like no makeup on. And I'm in my shit kickers. Like People love it because I'm a person to them. Mm-hmm. I'm showing them, you know, yes, I'm a realtor. I'm a professional. I also have this part of my life. So when you follow me on social, you see probably four things. You see my real estate business. You see my, my athletics, my working out and my volleyball, my horse, my dog, and my dad. That's about it. That's my world on social. Now there are things obviously that not everything should be on social media, but it gets people to see me as a person, not just somebody trying to make money off of them. And all of my clients are still with me. I've only released three clients ever. And so everybody in my business, I've kept in contact. They truly do become family. And that's the other thing that realtors need to realize is it's the long-term game, 
not the short-term financial benefit. Mm -hmm. And once you change that mindset and think of this as I'm going to be working with you for the next 20 years, not I'm going to work for you for the next three months. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And and you heard what she said. Uh, She said that, you know, what you just listed are what we call content pillars and, and everyone needs to identify. We actually have changed that to superpowers. They're your, they're your superpowers, but it's, it's just who you are as a human being. You notice that only one of them was business related, which is, which is smart. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, she's basically identified who am I as a human? What am I doing? And I'm just going to share that because, you know, you're passionate about it. It's easy to share. It's easy to talk about. It's easy to, you know, obviously display something that you're proud of. And, and all of those things obviously fall into those categories. I love that. I want to, I want to actually backtrack because I think that was great. I mean, obviously just the, the simplistic idea, which is not old news, but you're actually sharing something, your physical proof that listen, folks, I'm sending these video messages and it is resonating and reaching and 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 touching them and and causing positive results. Uh, you mentioned the social media. You also mentioned that thirty six touch that might be long, even more than that. Is there a certain cadence to thirty six touch? Because again, this isn't rocket science that you're sharing. I think what is defining you and your business is just the execution of said plan, right? And so, do you have a certain cadence that you follow, like? Uh, you know, it's going to be phone call, text, social post, blah, blah, blah. Like what is the, what is the cadence on the touch, the touch system? So I do have it set up to where the minimums are done every month of, you know, an email, a phone call, a text message, so on and so forth. And that's that's the three minimum of three per month. Correct. I sprinkle in the personalizations, whether it's, you know, they have, you see on social media, they just had a baby or, you know, unfortunately a family member passes, like there's always things. And that's part of my opportunity finding. I don't call it lead gen. I call it opportunity finding. When I'm on social media, I'm looking for that ability to make an impact on somebody's world, whether it's a positive, you know, however I can help them in that time, because eventually it's going to lead to them asking me to help them within their real estate needs. It might take some time. There's clients that I've been working with in different areas for a few years, and they finally now feel that I'm adequate in that as a professional, because when I met them, I was very new in the business and they were not comfortable giving me their business. It's a, it's a decently sized you know, price points and things of that nature. Now they're coming to me saying, hey, tell me more about what's going on. Is this accurate? Can I do it? And now we want to work with you. You know, Sign me up type thing. Mm. It takes time. And like I said, you have to know that it's the long-term game. We're building businesses. That's that's exactly what we are doing here is it's not a one year, make a ton of money and go. Well, now you're just all of those COVID agents that we don't want. You are the realtor building an empire that will be sustaining. So 20 years from now, you are still that person in, in the industry that they go to. You're still on the fridge magnet right there. Yeah. I love that. I mean, and what you said is, is a combination of um, it's, it's intentionality with social media, you know, social media, so many people have this, this demonizing mindset about social because it's a time suck. If you let it be clearly you use it very intentionally and you go to social to intentionally follow AKA stock your past clients, which is smart because then you learn about those life events so that you can stay very 
uh, you know, humanizing with them. It's not about a sale. It's about compassion and care and you treat them like a family. And that's, that's, what's going to go a long ways because you, I mean, everybody knows the statistics where, you know, roughly 90% of homeowners say they'll use their agent again, and only 13% actually do. And -hmm. it's because we suck at doing exactly what you just described, or we dump them into a traditional CRM and essentially spam them. What you're doing is, is intentional and powerful and meaningful and, and they feel that. And then it resonates through and brings them back to you. It's funny you say that. So I just had a client, I was, I was at a, a networking event and my phone goes off. It's like eight o'clock at night. And it's, it's a past client of mine. I helped them sell a home in 2020, not the easiest clients. We got it done. I stayed in contact, you know, and she sends me this like desperate talk. She's like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. We scheduled a showing and we got to the house and we saw your face on the sign. We didn't go in. We promised we, we, we made this agent leave. And I, I giggled to myself and I was like, well, I appreciate that. And why are you not calling me if you were ready to go buy a house again? She goes, well, we were just browsing. And I just clicked the button. So that's like you said, I've created that relationship where they actually felt guilty and canceled when they saw my face on the, the sign and then called me. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. That's that thing. absolutely. I mean, it's it's validating, right? It's validating that mm-hmm. what that's what works, and and um, that's that's what that's what agents need to experience. And most of them, as you probably know, just give up on these strategies too soon. They don't mm-hmm. follow through with a consistent touch. They don't follow through with a consistent social strategy. They don't follow through with stalking their their client, or they open up Facebook, Instagram, TikTok with the intent of stalking, and then end up going down that rabbit hole of puppies or that rabbit hole of funny videos. And then all of a sudden it's an hour later and they're pissed off and they, now they vacate the strategy altogether. And, and I think those that can stay dialed in to the process, cause this is a process of it to create the sustainability. Um, it requires that necessity. It's, I, I love what you're doing. So uh, as we're running up against the clock, I, I, I first of all, I want to give our audience a, ch- a chance to know how to connect with you. Um, so where is the best place to connect if somebody, you know, you, you really resonated with somebody and they want to they want to reach out? Yeah. So social media, uh, my Facebook is probably the easiest. It's my first and last name, Randy Brandt, or you can always shoot me a call and I will happily give my number out right here on this podcast with thousands of people. Uh, it is 810. 810- Nine two three zero two four five. That is my love, direct cell. I love that. So you on social, you spend the most time on Facebook. I do. Uh, I still do have the Instagram. That's a work in progress. Um, we're getting more touches with that. It's just I've had you know I've had Instagram since you had to have a college email address to have Instagram or to have Facebook. Excuse me. I just I have so much there and that is kind of just the go-to it's quick and easy and it works. Very so cool. stick with what you know. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, any, um, any just kind of parting advice or thoughts to share with the audience as we wrap up? Just to remember that like, like the theme of this, we've said shit happens. It can always be worse. Push it through and show people that you're not going to fail, whether it's, you know, a, a client that's difficult a co-broker that's not easy to work with, or, you know, things happen, deals fall apart, life happens, flat tires, things can always be worse, just push through it and literally set it up. It's, it's something that I've had to work on in that 
I will give myself five minutes. I've gotten it down from like 30 to 10 to 15, you know, whatever. Five minutes now where I can be angry, be upset, deal with it. And then I walk outside, whether I'm at home or at my office, I walk outside. And when I walk back in that door, it is game time. Whatever happened doesn't matter. It's done. It's handled. I go back and I focus on what is on my schedule for that time frame. Because the moment that I let myself get deterred from it is a failure of a day because I haven't made the connections I need to make in order to keep my business going. Mm-hmm. And that's really what's helped me get my business to where it is volume wise. I love it. I love it. Randy, it's a, it's very inspirational, crazy story. Um, and, and I think if, if somebody doesn't use that as their, as their inspiration to, to get their head out of their ass, uh, let's just say it, um, nothing will. And, and I, I appreciate that. That's really awesome. I'm glad Nick connected us. And, um, I started this podcast, uh, by saying it, and I'm going to end it by saying, shit happens. And I think that needs to be the, uh, the title of this, uh, this <laughs> podcast episode. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Today's episode is brought to you by Chime. Chime offers an award-winning sales acceleration platform built for the real estate industry. Powered by artificial intelligence, Chime delivers the data insights agents and teams need to make the most out of the leads they already have and to get to a close faster. Through an expanding partner network, Chime's easy-to-use conversion platform also delivers quality sales-ready leads from the get-go. It eliminates time-consuming manual tasks and helps agents focus on what matters most, building their network, servicing clients, and growing the bottom line. To learn more about how Chime can help you, visit www.chime.me or call 833-682-4463. Agents Podcasts.